1: Welcome. This is the Warning Woods Halloween Special 2022, The Exorcism of Ridgeville. This is part one of a five-part mini-series. Be sure to listen to each part of the story in the order they are released. This story will reach its terrifying conclusion at midnight on October 31st, Halloween. Without further ado... Here is The Exorcism of Ridgeville, Part 1. My taxi driver made good time between the airport and the quaint little town of Ridgeville. I was happy to learn the driver was a chatty fellow who liked to answer questions as much as I liked to ask them. I gained all sorts of trivial knowledge about the little town I'd be living in along the way. I remember him saying something along the lines of, People don't usually care to hear about old Ridgeville. I'm sure you'll learn pretty quick this is a quiet place for quiet folk. That doesn't bother me one bit, I told him. I could use some quiet in my life. Ridgeville sits between two large hills. I wouldn't call them mountains, but some might. They make the whole town feel like it's being kept in the earth's pocket. The hills create a feeling of isolation that is not unpleasant. At least, it wasn't unpleasant that day while driving to my new home. Just outside of town, we passed a huge cemetery sprawled at the base of the North Hill. A spiny black gate enclosed the graveyard, and a stoic brick building sat beside it. That's a lot of graves, I said. "'Oh, yeah, don't worry. We don't got that many people dying out here in Ridgeville,' the driver said. "'So where do they come from?' "'All over. The funeral home is one of this town's biggest businesses,' he pointed to the stoic brick building. "'People from miles away arrange to have their loved ones buried here by the hill. "'Can't blame them. It's a nice spot to come visit. "'It's gotta beat those eerie municipal cemeteries in the city.' We took a left at a rare stop sign and entered the downtown area. I smiled. The town already felt like home. There's something about a historic downtown that makes me feel nostalgic for a time before my mother even thought of me. It was getting late, and I only saw one person on the sidewalk. A dirty, shriveled man. He rested on two mismatched backpacks against a bank's wall. He was drinking discolored water from a reused plastic bottle. If I had followed my gut instincts, I would have turned away from that man and pretended not to see him. Instead, I fought this reaction and studied the grubby man as we passed by. As if reading my thoughts, the driver said, That there's Sam. Some call him Uncle Sam as a sort of joke, you know? What do you know about him? I asked. Eh, not much, the driver replied. I try not to get too close, know what I mean? I don't mean to be cruel or nothing, just never got a good feeling from old Sam. He sorta gives me the creeps. Think that makes me a bad guy? No, I answered slowly. No, he gave me a weird feeling when we passed him too. We exchanged pleasant farewells as the driver dropped me off in front of my new house. I made sure he noticed how well I tipped him because he seemed like the kind of guy I might run into at a bar or a diner. Since he was also a talkative guy, and potentially a gossip I thought he'd be a good friend to have as I got myself synced up with the town. I'd done plenty of research on Ridgeville, but there are certain things about a town you can't find online. Some things you have to learn by diving headfirst into the deep end. What was your name again? I asked him. Bill, he told me. And yours? Patrick. Well, Patrick, I'll be seeing you around. With that, he left me standing in front of my new home. I was fully settled in by the end of that week. I'd gotten unpacked, filled the fridge and pantry, and got all my entertainment set up as well as my office. The entire time, that homeless man, Sam, kept intruding on my thoughts. I couldn't explain why, then, or even now, why the filthy stranger remained so prominently fixed in my mind, but I thought of him several times per day. I made up my mind to go talk to him, but continually put it off for another day. Then another week. Finally, on a rainy afternoon, I gazed blankly through my rain-speckled office window and thought of Sam out in the weather. Since he was already on my mind, I knew I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if I didn't so much as check on him. So I grabbed my jacket, wallet, and keys, and got in my car. Three minutes later, the bank sign came into view through the drizzle. Sure enough, I saw Sam propped against the wall near it just as he had been the day I arrived in town. I pulled up to the curb on the wrong side of the road, cracked my window, and shouted, How about a hot meal? I'll never forget the way Sam looked at me when I called to him through the rain. His reaction made me wonder if I had been the first person to talk to him in months, maybe years. He looked like he didn't believe I could be talking to him. He pointed at himself and I gave an affirmative nod. He didn't smile or give any indication he understood. He just got up, left his belongings, and walked over to the side of my car. You don't have anywhere to go? I asked once he was situated in the passenger seat. He didn't speak, but shook his head no. Well, I'm new to town, but I did see there's a nice-looking diner over on 5th. Ever been there? I asked. Again, he shook his head. I put the car in gear and made a left onto 5th. The diner was well-lit and inviting. Even so, we were the only ones there when we went inside, besides the cook and one waitress. I ordered meatball subs for both of us. The waitress seemed uneasy around Sam and quickly jotted down our order before disappearing into the kitchen. We didn't see her again until she returned with the food. Then, she disappeared again. "'Listen,' I said to Sam as he bit into his sandwich like an animal. "'I'd like to know about you. How you got here, how you ended up... Well... I didn't mean to sound insensitive, but I was truly curious. Sam didn't seem put off, thankfully. He grunted, "'Why?' I told him, I'm a writer. Right now, I'm working on a book full of stories from interesting people in small towns, rural areas, anywhere off the beaten path, really. I'm thinking of calling it Hidden Gems. At the mention of my working title, the man smirked. What, you don't like it? I asked, mostly just trying to get him to converse. It's a little contrived, he said. I was shocked to hear a word like contrived come from a man like Sam, let alone used correctly. "'I suppose it is,' I said, laughing. "'What would you recommend?' "'Well, what kind of stories are in it?' he asked back. "'Yours would be the first, I told him. Sam seemed to consider this seriously as he took his next bite. I got excited, thinking I had stumbled upon a gold nugget for the book. "'Sorry to disappoint, but I've got no story,' Sam said. I prompted him to explain how he had gotten to Ridgeville, how he had ended up on the street.' why he stayed near the bank, etc. But Sam continued to eat his sandwich in silence. When he finished, he started fiddling with an old watch on his wrist. "'Does it work?' I asked him. He jumped like I had scared him. He covered the watch with his hand and pulled his arm toward his chest. I raised my hands like a surrendering soldier. "'I like you,' Sam said unexpectedly. "'You act like a good person, but you've got selfish motives behind your good deeds.' you don't even try to hide that, do you? His words took me aback. There was no sarcasm or hostility in his tone, just curious observation. And I had to admit, he was right. I thought so, he said. He turned his wrist and unlatched the watch. He held it over the table, saying, I want you to have this. I tried to refuse, but he insisted I take it. He said he felt guilty he didn't have a story for me and wanted to pay for his meal this way instead. I graciously accepted the watch and offered to drive him somewhere where he could take shelter from the rain. Oh, I'll be alright, he said as he slid out of his booth. With his back turned as he walked away, Sam said, You'd better start working on that book while there's still time. I was about to thank him when those last few words hit me. I turned to ask what he meant as the doorbell jingled and he was gone. As I finished my own sandwich, I studied the watch. It had a cracked face and worn leather band. I couldn't find any brand or icon to indicate its make, so I assumed it probably had no value, even when it was in good condition. I tried to wind it, but the gears made a pitiful clicking sound and the hands didn't move. On the back, someone had crudely inscribed the letters B-L-Z-B-L. Too many letters to be initials, I thought. I tried a quick online search of the letters with no likely results. I figured the next time I was downtown, I'd just ask Sam what they meant. That turned out to be the following morning. I wanted to stop into the local police department and see if I could make any friends there. I thought the police might have the most interesting stories from Ridgeville if I could convince any of them to talk. On my way, I passed the bank and saw Sam's belongings drying in the sun. Sam was nowhere in sight, though. I pulled over and got out to walk around the block. I thought Sam might have just gotten up to stretch his legs or maybe seek out a meal. "'You gonna take that stuff?' a high mean voice asked from behind me. I turned to see a young blonde boy, maybe eleven or twelve years old, wearing cleats, shin guards, and a blue soccer uniform that said Ridgeville Riders. He had one foot perched on top of a soccer ball. "'Um, no, I'm just looking for my friend,' I told the boy. "'Gross. You're friends with sicko Sam?' he asked. "'Well, we just met, but... "'Hey, you know, it's mean to call people names like that, "'even when they're not around to hear it. "'Whatever, man, I just wouldn't go calling that guy your friend around here.' "'The kid started kicking his ball down the sidewalk, "'and my gut told me to let him go. "'It told me I didn't need to bother myself with a bratty, compassionless kid, "'but I didn't listen. "'Why not?' I shouted down the sidewalk. I saw the back of the kid's uniform said, "'Worthing, 17.' He spun around and shouted back, "'Are you talking to me again?' "'Yeah,' I said. "'Why shouldn't I call Sam my friend?' Worthing, 17, kicked the ball to me, and I just barely caught it with the tip of my sneaker before it rolled into the empty street. I tapped it back to him when he was close enough that I felt confident in my aim. "'You want to know why we call him Sicko Sam?' Worthing, 17, asked. "'Sure.' Well, he sits here all day and watches us like he's counting us. Kids, I mean. He always seems to know where we'll be and who we'll be with, and at night, if one of us is outside alone, he finds us and tries to take us into the woods. Does he say what he wants to do in the woods? I asked. Worthing 17 scrunched his face and scoffed. (laughs) What kind of grown-up are you? He doesn't have to. It's obvious. It's sick. And that's why we call him Sicko Sam. Has he done this to you? I asked. Worthing 17 shook his head. No, but he's asked like all my friends. They've all talked about it. I don't think he's done it to me because I know to stay away from sickos like him. I'm too smart and he knows it. I'm sure. I gotta get to practice. Good luck, I guess. Worthing 17 kicked his ball down the sidewalk around the bank where I lost sight of him. I wasn't convinced he was telling me the truth but I made a note to keep my budding friendship with Sam quiet until I could learn more about him. If he was a known pervert, I think Bill, my cab driver, would have mentioned that. I pulled up to the police station ten minutes later. An officer was near his open trunk checking some medical gear. He nodded at me as I approached. I asked if he had seen Sam that morning, and he said he hadn't. The guy usually hangs out at the bank all day and night. We've always wondered if he ever eats or sleeps. Seems like he's always just there, the officer said. I told him, well, he's not there today. The officer shrugged and said, well, I need to get going, but I'll keep an eye out for him, all right? You a friend? He asked. I told him I'd just met Sam the day before was all. I decided to drive around for a while and see if I could find Sam myself. It didn't take me long to cover most of the main roads. Unless he had gone inside someplace, Sam was really gone. And since he hadn't bothered to go inside during the rainstorm the day before, I assumed it was unlikely he was indoors now. When I pulled into my driveway, my heart skipped a beat. My front door was wide open, and some of my belongings had been tossed out onto the front lawn. Stupidly, I ran inside to see what had happened. I found most of the house untouched. My office had specifically been targeted by whoever came in. As I dialed 911 and looked around to see what was missing, I noticed Sam's watch sitting in the middle of my desk. It was just about the only item that hadn't been moved during the break-in. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow you can also become a patron at patreon.com thewarningwoods if you want more creepy content including the images that accompany each story follow me on instagram at the warning woods if you feel ready meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods thank you for listening